0: It takes more than adding herbie dragons to every diagram you see on the office whiteboards to be a great software engineer. This is episode 187 of the Soft Skills Engineering podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show where we talk about all the non-technical things that go into the technical field of software development. And dragons. And dragons. <laughs> I've seen some architecture diagrams that certainly look like medieval maps before <laughs> we knew the earth was round. <laughs>
1: yeah
0: and like there's just like a line and on the other side of the line it says cloud yeah exactly
1: (laughs) it looks it looks menacingly like the entrance to a cave
0: (laughs) (laughs) there's like a big scary monster that's labeled like multi-region failover or something
1: (laughs) i still remember my favorite architecture diagram from like i don't know this is like 10 years ago before the word cloud was in wide use people didn't know what it meant but not super technical people I found in my company thought that it meant basically like something I I I don't even know what they thought it meant, but they kept putting it in this one diagram for the system we were building, and it and it it was like this is where the cloud is, and, <laughs> <laughs> and
0: here we'll uh, we'll we'll write to the cloud,
1: <laughs> exactly, and it turned out it was actually the home of. Like they thought it basically they thought it meant something we don't have to build. But it turns out that we actually had to build some of the most complex and massive requirements of the system were inside that cloud, and they just completely got set aside because they got labeled as a cloud.
0: Once it gets to the cloud, it's all solved for you. That's right. That's what we all know. <laughs> Do you want to talk about our great patrons?
1: Yes, I want to thank everyone who is contributing at the level that gets them a weekly shout out. They are Vinlock, Matthew Voidovich, Bartek Tatkowski, the Agile Ventures Charity, Braden Keynes, Ted Nugent, Crash Bandicoot, Zach Grannon, John Grant, Maple Syrup, Luis Santos, Nick Cantar, Taras Haruk. Stephen Armand Lee, Sean Sunny Tai, Brittany Ellick, Sonic the Hedgehog, Ivo Robotnik, Florian Tatso, Philip John Basile, Chris Hogan, Luke Bayless, and Stanley Tactical Radio. If you would like to support the show, you can go to SoftSkills.Audio and click Support Us on Patreon. And any dollar amount greater than zero will get you access to our Slack community, which is really, really fun. Every week,
0: yeah. lots of good stuff happening. I learn stuff from there all the time. Also, this episode is sponsored by Vettery. Vettery is a platform for getting hired as a software engineer. We will talk more about Vettery later, but thank you to them for supporting the show. Okay, I am going to read our first question. This is from a listener named Marion. Hello there. Hello, Marion. To say things pretty directly, I hate the recruiting process in software engineering, especially coding tests on whiteboards during interviews. It makes me very nervous, and I already missed a job opportunity because I could not handle my stress correctly. Plus, I think that the problems asked in these interviews are irrelevant to the day-to-day job, which means that I need to study sorting algorithms and tree balancing every time I want to look for a new job. (laughs) So true. How do you deal with these interviews? Do you do heavy preparation? Do you think that the interview process is stupid too? (laughs) Should the permanent access to Stack Overflow be stated as an elementary right of developers? (laughs) Thank you very much. Keep up the excellent job i think the interview process is stupid too yes yes Yes. i do i definitely do the thing is well yeah i I like the idea of a software developer's bill of rights and one of the things on that list should be you will not make me do things in an interview that i would never do at work like artificially stand up in front of a group of strangers and code with a marker on a whiteboard with (laughs) no access to a computer wait and in like a hostile setting it's like quick (laughs) prods down and the only access ssh is broken but we have this like OpenCV computer vision recognition thing that can read a whiteboard and write directly to a program's memory space. And so we need you to write a workaround in marker on this whiteboard. Go! We're losing money every second. The pressure's on. And I feel like that would kind of model a little bit the, the whiteboard coding section of interviews.
1: Right. <laughs> you mean you don't do that at work every day?
0: I haven't yet, but maybe we. T- it's time to build some fallback systems that let me write whiteboard code directly into my running binary. (laughs) That is such a good
1: idea. Actually, I think it would be so cool to build a system just like as a mock of the whole, as a mockery of the whole interview process. Just like
0: made out of interview questions. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, not only that, but like you you coded them in with marker on a whiteboard that was OCR.
0: (laughs) This is like our our Twitter clone that's built solely out of like graph coloring or something.
1: (laughs) Oh man, it'd be so fun.
0: Yeah, that would be interesting. I have thought about doing a talk called, so I I do a bunch of React stuff and I've thought about doing like React components that reverse binary trees or something like that. (laughs) Just like stupid uses of UI frameworks to solve these dumb whiteboard coding problems.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, so yes, the interview process is pretty bad, but boy, it sure could be worse. What if you had to do all of that But you had to do it with a marker in your non-dominant hand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) To prove you really know your stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. If this candidate can code that well with their left hand, think what they can do with their
0: right hand. You're hired. You got to do Princess Bride style where you, halfway through the interview, you've drawn beautiful circles and arrows and lines. And then you say... I am not left-handed. And you swap it over <laughs> to your right hand, and then they get even better.
1: Your curly braces go from like, <laughs> unimpeachable to perfection.
0: <laughs>
1: Seriously, though, I like. Is, am I alone in just feeling like making people write a curly brace with a marker on a whiteboard is like just pure oh, torture? It's so dumb. I'm, I've no. never seen. I've never seen anyone
0: write a curly brace that looks anything like a curly brace. Yeah, mine's a sideways W. <laughs> Oh, man. I just kind of gesture at it and say, (laughs) you know, a curly brace. Wiggle the
1: marker a little bit.
0: (laughs) Actually, so my daughter is four and she's starting to write more. And she does that for letters. She's like, I know an M has a bunch of up and down squiggles, but she doesn't quite know how many it has. So she just kind of like scribbles up and down, going from left to right on the paper.
1: That's exactly what curly braces look like on whiteboards. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So she's ready for the interview process.
1: I, on the other hand, actually practice writing my curly braces with a marker. And let me tell you, they are better than any candidate I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> Do you just go up and, and erase the curly braces in their code sample on the whiteboard and replace them with yours? Yeah, exactly. To exert dominance. <laughs>
1: I just stand there with, I just look down at the floor.
0: You've got a couple of mistakes here. Let me just go up and tweak it. And then you just swipe out the curly braces in the right. (laughs) Okay, that looks better. That'll compile with our OCR system.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. What if, okay, what if, okay, again, the interview process could be worse. What if they said, all right, here's a coding problem, but you can only use binary trees to solve it?
0: (laughs) It's fizz buzz. Exactly. Parse it's, this CSV file. You have no IO. You only have binary <laughs> <Go>. trees. <traits. laughs>
1: <laughs> I like it. Okay. Although, I, I mean, a lot of people complain about the whiteboard. So why don't we take the whiteboard out of the equation and just say, okay, fine. You can use a computer, but it's going to be a Dvorak keyboard layout.
0: <laughs> the, so that would reject most candidates except a specific subset that has this very unique niche skill that doesn't really help you get better at your job, Yep. which means it sounds a lot like a whiteboard algorithmic coding interview question. <laughs>
1: I wonder what the Venn diagram overlap is between Dvorak keyboard users and Lisp users. It's got to be high, right? I don't
0: know. Why? Are the parentheses in a good spot or something?
1: <laughs> no, I just I just feel like people who are into Dvorak, they're into it because of like typing purity, unencumbered by legacy, you know, uh-huh. and, and they're like, and Lisp is also unencumbered, and it's just so pure and beautiful. Maybe maybe a, maybe a Haskell is what I'm really thinking of.
0: There's there's few syntactical structures in the language. Yes. So do I think the interview process is stupid too? I think that interview process is stupid. The thing about interview processes, though, is most companies are so terrified of a false positive of hiring a person that they shouldn't have hired mm-hmm. that they they swing way over to the other side. And would way rather and, and kind of pick a process to reject people yeah. because they would way rather reject people that could do the job than potentially accept people that they feel like couldn't. And I don't know if that actually works, but I think that's the reasoning behind these kind of gauntlet type interview processes where it's not necessarily can you do the work as you will do it, but kind of like testing your mettle, <laughs> I <laughs> guess. I Frankly, I'm surprised that it is still this way because...
1: I would have expected market forces to correct this in the other direction because we have so like, okay, so maybe the mega tech companies have people lining up to apply for their jobs. Fine.
0: Yeah. I mean, think think about if you're Google, they probably have thousands of applicants for, for most positions. So they just have to churn through them somehow. Although I guess it's really expensive to interview all those people too. So they'd ideally churn through them earlier.
1: But still, I'm surprised though, because like the rest of the industry does not have people lining up at their door. And like, usually you have to employ a full-time recruiter just to get anyone to apply you know, who's yeah. kind of like reaching out to thousands of people just to get them to apply for your job. So I'm surprised that we haven't seen a correction here.
0: I, I think it's just like everything in software. it's It's not evenly distributed. But I think there's certainly a cultural backlash against these style of interviews. And I have seen it being more common to proactively talk about your interview process as a way of attracting candidates. By saying, hey, we won't torture you. Come interview with us and you won't hate it. Even if you don't get the job, we won't make you feel like a failure. You know? You'll
1: know, you get this nice gift card. <laughs>
0: yeah. You won't have to sit in front of the, the council of elders and have them <laughs> yeah. weigh your every, you, you like put a, a marker up to the whiteboard and then look back over your shoulder, look for frowns or, or nods. <laughs> And none of them will
1: erase your curly braces. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that was a, a bit of a tangent, but I, I do think that specific style of process is mostly dumb, but it's not the default in my experience for every interview. I, I'm i thinking of my last interview cycle. I don't think I did any whiteboard coding. Hmm. I did lots of real coding and I did some design on whiteboards, but I didn't do yes. any stand up at the whiteboard, write by hand, like parsable code. Yeah. So, I guess anecdotally it's it's going out, but I also didn't interview at any of the big mega tech companies. So, and part of why too was like, I don't know. I don't want to have to go study for months to get a job. I <laughs> kind of need a job now. <laughs> so I have, I have kind of a counter example here, which is over the last three
1: years, I have interviewed at two big mega tech companies. And mm-hmm. in both cases, I just spent way too much time studying computer science topics. And as a result, my like level one cache in my mind was just f- like a bookshelf full of computer science topics. Okay. Uh, and so as soon as a pr- problem was presented to me, I would reach for these the closest book on my metaphorical bookshelf, and it was always some esoteric computer science thing. So you did you
0: know? use binary trees to solve every problem yeah, that gave was, you.
1: But it was ridiculous. Like I kept tying myself in knots trying to use these weird data structures to solve simple yeah. problems.
0: Uh, okay, so we need a red-black tree here. And exactly. Like, we're asking
1: for fizzbuzz. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it actually, that it harmed me, I think. Now, huh. having said that, I think that just a basic working knowledge of computer science topics would have been fine. Although, frankly, I was going to say I never needed a binary tree, but there was actually one instance where I interviewed at Google a few years ago, and one of the questions was related to binary trees, and I thought I knew binary trees inside and out, but they kind of put a twist on it and threw me for a loop, and I just absolutely choked. And I just basically spent 30 minutes kind of just like drooling and like my eyes went into two different directions. <laughs> and and, and the, the interviewer was like offering me all these really helpful hints, but they just weren't penetrating, you know? Yeah. Oh man, it was so rough. Huh. So like to me, it was all about pressure because the very next day I'm sitting there at my desk and I'm like, oh yeah, I got like all, all these great <laughs> ideas. you know? I'm like, oh, this is actually a really simple problem. I just couldn't figure it out. With the time yeah.
0: pressure. I, I'm trying to think of bad experiences I've had. I had one interview that it wasn't, it, it was more like, can we explain to you this algorithm and then have you implement it? It wasn't like, can you solve this problem that the answer is is some algorithm? That mm-hmm. one I failed, but it was no. also kind of writing code on the whiteboard.
1: So, but they they told, they just described an algorithm and said, write code to do this?
0: Sort of. It was It was like loosely described. It wasn't okay. kind of all the way filled out but it it yeah i just i just crumbled under the pressure another interview it was a whiteboard thing but it was like a puzzle question that i solved on the whiteboard and i am not great at puzzles and it turns out putting me in an interview in front of a group of strangers and on a whiteboard makes me worse at them so (laughs) i also did poorly at that
1: one and they were like and in your left hand hold this rubik's cube we expect it to be (laughs) solved by the time your code is written
0: (laughs) That's part of our continuous integration process. <laughs> Every branch must be must pass its tests while the developer is solving a Rubik's cube.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so here. All right, we kind of trashed on on this thing, on this concept of throwing computer science problems. Well,
0: maybe we did. I don't know. Computer science is cool. I like it, and I think it's useful, and it's not bad. But the specific format of testing if people know like this specific data structure by asking them to write code that uses it yeah. on a whiteboard in front of a group or or even just in front of one person is not great
1: it also kind of depends on the company because you know funny story i was i was reading cracking the coding interview a couple of years ago oh, yeah. which is like the bible for interview prep uh, which yep. is it's a really good book by the way I'm, yeah it's
0: great about just like the if you like this kind of stuff it's a really yeah. cool read It is. And so I
1: I read it and I encountered this concept of topological sorting, which is where you put things in a certain order based on dependencies in a graph. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And they gave a few examples in the book of where this might be used in in real world. And then, so, you know, that just kind of came about during my interview prep. And then literally the next week at work, we came across a problem we needed to solve on our team that involved topological sorting. (laughs) So Hmm. I was like, oh, wait, well, wait, (laughs) maybe hmm, interesting. I just I didn't know what to yeah. say about that.
0: I, I think you're right, though, that the more you know about it, the it's like tools in your tool belt. Oh, yeah. Heroes in your quiver. Mm-hmm. It's like M&Ms in your candy jar.
1: <laughs> you'll eat them if they're there.
0: Exactly. And if they're not there, then you'll just eat healthily and we wouldn't <laughs> want that. I think that's how the metaphor goes.
1: That's right. So I had a good friend who got, he loves computer science and he went back to school for a master's degree just for fun. And I've always felt like that was a great motivation to get a master's degree in computer science. And I asked him, like, has it been beneficial? Have you used your education? And he said, he said, well, those are two questions. And on the one hand, yes, I've used a lot of what I learned on my master's degree. On the other hand, has it been really beneficial? I don't know. Like, maybe I would have found alternate solutions anyway, and maybe it didn't really move the needle that much. But I thought it was interesting. And it's very much like the M&M theory. It's like if your candy jar is full of M&Ms, you'll eat them. And I think yep. if, you know, if your brain is full of red, black, AVL self-balancing binary trees, then you'll <laughs> use those.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Linux kernel does. Somebody had to know about those. <laughs> yep. So we have tangented...
1: Oh, yeah. So what I wanted to say about this, though, is that, like, I do find it frustrating that I have to refresh my memory on computer science topics. But in reality, I don't think you do if you have a a reasonable foundation of, like, the basic data structures that are available in your programming language. However, in defense of weird computer science questions, it is so hard to find a real-world problem that is small enough in scope that it can fit in the context of an interview, but complex enough in scope that it can actually tell you something about the candidate's abilities. And that's where these computer science problems come in really handy, where it's like, you know, navigate this binary tree. No, you don't have to worry about permissions issues. You don't have to worry about, are the IDs going to be null? You know, like all the normal things we deal with on a regular software project.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like the friction, frictionless spherical cube of physics, or uh, not cube. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I that's even better. It's the frictionless spherical oh, I cow can't even talk. Yeah, the thing in physics, that thing, that ideal thing that doesn't exist in the real world, but they use in examples.
1: The frictionless spherical cow in a vacuum. I yeah,
0: that's the thing.
1: Also known as an ideal space cow. Am
0: I having a brain aneurysm right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where where you abstract a bunch of things to make it easier to think about some core piece of the problem, exactly. which I guess the core piece of the problem is do you know how to computer well. <laughs>
1: Why don't we just make that a yes, no question instead?
0: When, so time to use our, our platform to tell the whole industry what they're all doing wrong and then have okay. them all listen to us. Yes. <laughs> One easy thing you can do to just instantly make this less horrible if you want to use these kind of questions is let people do it on a computer. They type on a computer for their job. They think about things by typing on a computer most of the time. It's uh, it's It's a more comfortable environment, I think. That's, you should do that. If you're designing an interview process and you really want to have these kind of test problems, don't do them on the whiteboard. If they're writing code, do them on a computer.
1: I agree. I agree. That should be an option for every candidate.
0: Well, I'm giving other advice. Do (laughs) architecture things on the whiteboard. That's what whiteboards are used for. They're for like diagramming systems and designing things and stuff, but you don't, you don't go and implement it on the whiteboard after that. So. That's, that's where it's useful. So use it for those things. That's where you would use it in the real world. Mm-hmm. So what do we tell this candidate? We've kind of used this question to just talk about stuff that we want to talk about, as is traditional.
1: When, <laughs> that's true. Apologies. One thing that we haven't addressed, which is how do you deal with the stress of the interview process? You know, like we've talked a lot about computer science and should these questions be asked and all that stuff. Yeah. But, like how do you actually like de-stress yourself so that in the heat of the moment, you can perform.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, some of that is on the on the interview process. They should be making most people don't perform really well under pressure. Mm-hmm. Some people do, but I would say most people don't, and that's not a that's not a characteristic you should be screening for in your average right technical interview. So hopefully, they're they're designing things to make them less horrible for you. One thing that can help is finding out what's coming ahead of time not mm-hmm. the specific questions that they're, that they're going to ask but just Although kind of the that broad trunks <laughs> that does that does lower your stress level like oh this is just one easy plagiarism away from being solved <laughs> yeah if you can find out what's going to happen in the interview process so you'll talk to these this person it'll be about system design you'll talk to this person about algorithms mm-hmm. like kind of broad overviews of what's coming next. That can help. And that's things that often people will know.
1: And in this interview session, you'll be implementing the Diffie-Hellman key exchange using nothing but binary trees.
0: <laughs> and that gives you enough to know that you're going to crush it or you're just going <laughs> to skip that one. And yeah. <laughs> I decline. <laughs> hope, yeah. Hope it was a test of your ability to push back against unreasonable <laughs> requirements. <laughs>
1: Another thing I do is I try to choose my interview timing such that I don't need the job desperately. In other words, mm-hmm. interview before you're laid off or before you're, you don't have a job. And you know tell yourself, look, this is just, well, let me back up. Rather than saying like, I desperately need a new job, just say say to yourself, I am going to see what's out there. And if something really cool comes along, great. And if not, that's okay. And you do this while you're still employed so that you don't have tons of pressure on you to perform in the interview. And that helps a lot. I perform so much better when I don't need the job.
0: Yeah. I'm going to talk about City League rec soccer for a while. Okay. (laughs) I just need to set you up for where we're going. So I I played soccer on a City League, never in high school or for a varsity team or anything. And I was like pretty bad. And one year I got put on a team that was very bad and suddenly... I was the best soccer player on that Ooh. team, even though I wasn't very good. But I got way better on that team because there are all these people that were supporting me and thought like, "Oh, you've kicked a ball before. You are like unto Pelé to us." <laughs> and and so I I like started doing a lot of cocaine and punched the ball. Oh no, that was Maradona. Okay. Anyways, okay. there's something about people's expectations and how they affect you and. That's, that's a hard part about the interview process that you're not surrounded by coworkers who support you, who want you to do a good job. There are people who are like, yeah, show us what you got. So I think I'm, I'm long-windedly agreeing with you that the more you can take the pressure of, of performance off of that. And if you can say like, whatever, I'll get another interview sometime. If I, if this one goes poorly, that helps yeah. a lot yeah. related to that interviewing more often is also helpful mm-hmm. when you've seen, if, if you've interviewed twice for every job you have, then then your sample size of what is out there is pretty low, and bad interviews are a higher percentage of the interviews that you've done, whereas if, yeah. if you've interviewed quite a bit, then your bad interview is probably pretty bad, but it's probably pretty far out on the bell curve, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you'll see most interviews are, I don't know, kind of okay, and some of them are really good, and some small number are really bad, but it's less terrifying if you have more to compare it to, and if you've done more of them so you can imagine what's coming up more. That said, if you hate this, I just told you, like, interviewing is miserable and painful to me, so I will go expose myself to this pain and misery (laughs) more (laughs) often. I I don't know. I think it's still valuable even if you hate it, and you might hate it less if you do it enough to realize, like, the world will not end and you can still get another job.
1: Yeah. Great advice, as usual.
0: There are some people who that is not true for, though, and, and maybe this is their one big chance, and... Uh, yeah. I think maybe practicing in mock interviews could help in that case. If, if yeah. it is really hard for you to get interviews, if you're breaking into the industry or, or there's some disadvantage you're working with, then practicing in lower stress situations could help so that you have some muscle memory and some brain memory <laughs> to fall back on. <laughs> Practice those curly braces exactly yeah but if you just find a friend and say hey like can you practice giving me an interview for an hour like they do at your company or whatever then i feel like that's a thing a friend would do
1: oh yeah if you had access to a friend like that that'd be great yeah cool all right have we answered the question
0: we have hey jameson
1: before we go on to our next question did you hear that one of our slack community members just got
0: a new dev job with a fifty thousand dollar raise yeah, that was wild. They used a service called Vettery. Vettery matches developers with employers based on what you want, like your location, salary requirements, and technologies you want to work with.
1: Yeah, so I actually signed up myself, and within a week, they sent me a job opportunity. The hiring manager wrote me a very nice note, and the salary was actually amazing. I was pretty impressed.
0: I don't know. I'm a pretty big fan of my current job search process, which is quitting my job and then asking <laughs> strangers on Twitter if they know anyone hiring for COBOL. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> okay <laughs>
1: so once you sign up for Vettery, you actually get a dedicated consultant assigned to help you tweak your profile and find the opportunities you're interested in and the best part is you get those pesky salary requirements out of the way early in the process no more going through the whole interview process only to find out that your expectations are way off
0: another thing i like is that there's no coding test to get started and as much as I love balancing binary trees on a whiteboard under time pressure, that's, that's a pretty cool thing. If you're thinking of taking the soft skills engineering advice of quitting your job, you should check out Vettery.
1: Go to vetery.com slash soft skills to sign up. That's V-E-T-T-E-R-Y dot com
0: slash soft skills. And if you use that link, you'll help support the show. And if you get a job through Vettery, you get 300 bucks. Thank you so much to Vettery for sponsoring the show.
1: All right. I will read our next question. This comes from an anonymous listener who says, I'm in my mid-30s and I've been coding for about 20 years. I have a non-technical bachelor's degree and have had a fairly varied career. I did freelance web development work throughout college and then after college had a couple of different jobs as the sole in-house web developer for two different small media companies. After that, I spent some time running my own web dev slash design business with some partners, freelance some more, and then finally decided to get on the career track about four years ago. At that point, I ended up taking a remote developer job at a small company of eight people with no real hierarchy or management and worked there for three years. But about six months ago, I moved on from there to what now feels like my first, quote, real job at a tech-focused company, still remote. And while I'm happy with the work and compensation, I'm realizing that I'm at the bottom of the software developer hierarchy and there are many people above me who are a fair bit younger and I assume less experienced than I am. I don't mind being subordinate subordinate to younger devs, but I do feel like my career is a good five or 10 years behind where it should be, because until now, I haven't worked in an environment where it has been possible to earn a senior lead or management title. I've been coding for a long time and am very interested in moving up the ladder, leading a team, and working more at the product level. Do you have any advice for how I can accomplish this quickly and make up for lost time, especially considering I've only been here for six months? Hmm,
0: That's a good question. Mm-hmm. 20 years, that's a long time, especially for being in your mid-30s.
1: Yeah, mid-30s, that means you started as a teenager.
0: Yeah, young whippersnapper.
1: Mm-hmm. One of these young hotshots. Let's see, 20 years. Oh, you started during the dot-com bubble. Is
0: that when you started?
1: No, I was a, I was a little... Well, depends on what you count, but calculator, yes. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thats I mean, that's a lot of experience. And mm-hmm. you've done a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Running your own web dev design business, freelancing a bunch working remote for this tech company. It feels to me like you are underselling the amount of experience you have. Yeah. If you feel like you are just starting your career. I mean, you're not. You've had a long and productive career already, it sounds like. And you've you've when you talk about kind of leading teams and working more at the product level, you you led a company in some ways, even if it was with partners and you're all kind of equals, you you're still exercising a bunch of ownership there. So I think you have a lot of skills that would be really valuable here.
1: Yeah. So just go on LinkedIn and change your title. (laughs) We've
0: been over this. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. What do you do about it? So one thing you could do is invent a time machine and go back in time and renegotiate when you are joining this company. So this is not always widely known, but... Level is a thing you can negotiate to some degree in, in job offers, and it's useful to know if that's important to you, where you fall in their hierarchy. So if you go through an interview process, I think it's a perfectly normal question to ask, hey, what does the leveling structure look like? Where does this position fall in that? And if you feel like it's somewhere uh, below where your experience and, and ability merits, then you can say, hey, I, th- I think I actually would be a better fit at this level above that and, and work that in. So it it feels like if if you are much more junior than these people who are much younger than you, there might have been a chance to go back in time, or if if you could go back in time to to come in at a higher level to this company. So maybe next time think about that. That doesn't help you now, though. True. Maybe it just makes you feel worse.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Great job, Jameson.
0: Which is the feeling we always want our question askers to
1: have. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, what do you do now? I'm trying to think of what's underneath this question. So, if you've been doing a lot, mostly web development, and I mean, and media companies. So, when I hear media companies and freelance web, what I'm thinking of is more like website design. You know, building websites for people.
0: Very visual focused.
1: Yeah, a lot, a lot of visual focus. Maybe not so much on like the software systems design or software application development. Yeah, you know, like think Gmail as compared to a WordPress site, right? Like these are kind of different domains and I wonder if that's what's behind this question
0: where they have they have a lot of experience that doesn't necessarily translate into the systems they're working in right now.
1: Yeah, like they're probably the best person at the company with HTML and CSS. Yeah. But maybe not the best with like system design, architecture, things like that.
0: Sure. And it sounds like they want to move into that area.
1: Yeah, maybe, and and maybe also not a lot of experience leading other engineers. And I think that's one of the one of the pitfalls of freelancing is it's really hard to get experience where you are directly responsible for a team. Yeah,
0: you know, yeah, that's and, true.
1: And I don't know if there's a way to make up that kind of lost time. Like, can you get on the fast track to leadership like that? Um, like, is there a way to do it quicker? Like, maybe move into a team lead role where you're actually leading two teams at once, and then. You get two years of experience for the price of one.
0: Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. So try that. (laughs) I I think, uh, I mean, asking, telling your company, hey, I feel like my career is behind and I want to speed it up. It doesn't feel super relevant because I don't know that the, Mm -hmm. I mean, the company should care about career advancement, but that's not as highly motivating to them as someone saying hey, I want to have a larger impact and here's how I think I can do that. If you can pitch things to people that you are going to do that will help them, that's, I think that's kind of the key to to advancing. And if you have all this experience, I mean, you've probably pitched a lot of clients. You've probably delivered a lot of stuff to production. You've probably gone through a lot of kind of design iterations and reviews and stuff like that. So I think you have some valuable skill sets. You just need to figure out how you can apply them to the, the area that you're working in. And I think if you demonstrate that and also say that you're interested in doing these things, that feels like a a way to advance potentially.
1: Yeah. I I wonder if people sometimes have the impression that if they want to be in leadership or grow into a management role, that if they just act like it, but never ask for it, that someone will just be like, I think you're management material, kid. Yeah. I like the the cut of your jib. You know, got some moxie. Yeah. Why don't you come on in here to the management room? Yeah. But in reality, I think a lot more often people will just say, I want to do this to their leadership. And then leadership will be like, oh, okay, well, maybe we can make that happen.
0: Yeah. So teams grow and change and and management positions open up. And and usually people have kind of a list in their head of who might fill mm-hmm. a role or an opening. Mm-hmm. So if if you want to get on that list... You need to perform well, obviously, but you also need to make it clear you're interested in that. Yeah.
1: It's like the M&M analogy again, you know? Who does management reach for when they're looking for a new leader? Yeah.
0: Who's in their M&M jar? So you got to get in the jar. Be an M&M.
1: <laughs> okay. But now, what about a situation here where you don't have any direct management experience? Maybe you've expressed the desire and now maybe management gives you a shot. Like, how do you do that? Like, is there an accelerated track for this?
0: Hmm. I'm just thinking. I mean, I'm assuming there is because humanity is wide and varied and someone has probably <laughs> done something like this. Yeah. I don't know that there's an accelerated track that you can easily slip into, though. There's not mm-hmm. a secret passageway to like getting promotions. I mean, there are, there are projects that are higher profile and there might be teams that are nicer to work on or have a manager that has more influence or something. So you could kind of like politic your way into a better situation. Mm-hmm. But... I do feel like just thinking about it. I don't know. I don't I don't know that there's some magic fast track that you can hop yeah, on. I think yeah. you just got to start working on it.
1: I think your instincts are aligned with mine, which is that in management and leadership more so than anything else, it takes time. I think maybe more so than in software development. Although, you know, recently read a very interesting tweet where someone said, you know, 10 years of experience where you're doing the same thing every year isn't much different than one year of experience and doing that thing. Yeah. And so, you know, there's certainly a slow track in terms of technical development. And the fast track is more like constantly getting new challenges. And then when you defeat the old ones, you go across the horizon and you find a new world of challenges. And that happens year over year. And in management, you sometimes you kind of have to wait for those challenges to come to you because you can't just go tackle them necessarily, depending on the scope and size of your company, your responsibilities. Like sometimes these things just fall in your lap and it's like, well, there's a fire. It's in your lap. You got to put it out now. Yeah you know and and that gives you experience and in the absence of those things you can kind of just coast along in in leadership although it's pretty rare to have a fire free leadership situation in any context
0: yeah all you have to do is find a team that doesn't have any problems <laughs> <laughs> and none of your users or customers have any problems <laughs> you've solved and then all their problems by the transitive property you have no problems too that's right <laughs>
1: Uh, so I don't know. So maybe there's no fast track or at least not one that's widely known. And maybe, maybe there's not a way to make up for lost time here other than just jumping in and pretending like you're 22 again.
0: I don't know that making up for lost time is a thing. But I, I do think leadership and management and seniority and all that stuff, it Good communication and kind of navigating of, of human skills are very important there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another area where uh, you're a little bit older than some of these folks. You've had more more varied experience. That's something that could help you out there. Where oh yeah, you're good at life maybe, and it turns out being good at life transfers over pretty well to being good at having a high impact on software teams.
1: So I'm sitting here thinking about the people that I've known who have who have significantly increased the scope of their leadership as I've watched them over the last few years. And there are there is a small number of people who have done this. And what I observe that's common to all of them is that they are always looking to grow the scope of their responsibility. And this forces them into positions where they have to delegate. And they do that very effectively, like they, they take on work, but then they make sure that other people are executing and they put themselves in a position where they are leading. And I've seen you know, I saw we hired someone about two, two and a half years ago you know, on a team adjacent to mine. And this person just has gone from being an individual contributor to in the course of two and a half years or so being responsible for a management team of four or five other managers who each manage four or five other people. So, I mean, massive increase in scope of responsibility in just a couple of short years. And when I observe this person, what I see them doing is just constantly, like, hustling, going after new stuff, wanting to take on more responsibility, you know, always willing to tell leadership, hey, I want more scope, or I've got this project idea, or I want to launch this thing, and going after budget to do it. And so maybe that's what, you know, if you really want this, that's maybe what you need to be doing is just constantly be on the lookout for opportunities to increase your scope.
0: How do you avoid, uh, I mean... Just saying yes to a lot of things and then handing the work off to other people sounds kind of slimy. <laughs> How do you avoid being annoying or being someone other people do not like or feel like they're, they're getting mm. stepped on on your way up the ladder, you know? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, it's not like you yourself are saying, I will do this. And then you're finding a subcontractor <laughs> to pull off the work.
0: Although, <laughs> <laughs> talk about a fast track. <laughs>
1: there you go. Mechanical Turk. <laughs> <laughs> totally scalable I think the way you do that is you prepare people around you to be able to help drive these ideas and projects with you so that you know you've got people's support and I think that means forming a lot of relationships with people that are strong and building trust with folks, earning their trust mm-hmm. and, and everyone around you needs to know that you've got their back and that they can rely on you and trust you and then when an opportunity to increase scope comes along you've got a network of people who you can draw on and say, hey, let's do this together. And hmm. yeah, you're the one responsible for it, but now you've got this group that can help you.
0: Hmm. All right, I'll join your group. <laughs> you sold me.
1: Also, it's kind of a multi-level thing, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell you products and you're just going to give me lots of money and, and that's it.
0: <laughs> the real money is in increasing your own scope that's right. beneath me.
1: <laughs> I've been saying the word scope, but what I really meant was
0: downline. Okay. Uh, and in the end, the org chart forms this triangle shape, all pointing up to you.
1: One one might even call it a pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a Ponzi shape in geometry. We call that a Ponzi. Ah, <laughs> a fancy word for pyramid. And <laughs> the pyramid, it's not like a straight walled pyramid. The pyramid gets extremely wide toward the base. Yeah. Like encompassing it's... all of humanity. When about four or five levels.
0: Depth is log n, right? It's
1: more like two to the n. The width is two to the n, where n is number of levels. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe even 15 to the n. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just a constant factor. <laughs> yeah, <same>. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> same overall. And now we've come circle full circle back to computer science.
0: That's not how big O works. <laughs> <laughs> but that is how the show works. Have we answered the question? I think so. Good luck. Good luck. I hope it works out. What can people do if they would like their own questions answered? Go to softskills.audio
1: and click ask a question. Thank you so much to everyone who has done that. We really appreciate all the questions coming in. We will get to them eventually. And we want to say a big thanks to Vettery for supporting the show. Remember, go to vetterycom softskills to support this show and find an amazing new job.
0: All right. Catch you next week.